What a wonderful promise from the Word of God that He will never leave us, He will never forsake us. Amen? That is Hannah. She is our eldest. Hannah has been, uh, for several years, uh, the, the founder of a movement. She believes that Mother's Day in our family is because of her. She's our firstborn, and she said this should be Children's Day. Mom, you should thank me for the recognition that you're getting. I've scratched my head often at her logic, but it kind of in some weird way makes sense. So I'm not sure what you do with that. But anyway, we are grateful for uh, the opportunity to worship here today. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, we're going to look at one verse today, but we're actually going to study the entire book of Romans up to this verse. Some of you immediately grabbed your watch, some of you grabbed your heart, some of you reached in your purse for some Tums. I'm not sure which of those is most appropriate. I'm not going to, uh, to keep you through a, a lengthy study or an exposition of every verse of Romans, but we're going to actually look at the first 11 chapters together as we head up to Romans 12.1. Hopefully you've gotten there. Once you've turned to Romans 12.1, if you would make your uh, way back up this way with your eyes, let's uh, just kind of catch up. For the last several months, we've been in a series that we've called It Matters How You Behave. And we very simply said that it matters in your life as a Christian what practices you engage in. That there are some critical things that right belief will lead you to live out. And we said uh, some of those things are worship and Bible study and prayer. We've talked about many of them. We've spent, in fact, in an, a, a longer time, we kind of expanded our study of and our thinking about the subject of prayer. But I want us to move forward to the next one. Hopefully, uh, some of you still have that little bookmark. I gave you a bookmark back in November when we started on the first 10. There are three sets of 10 things we're studying. It matters what you believe, how you behave, and who you become. We looked at key doctrines, 10 of them. We are now looking at key behaviors, and we'll ultimately look at virtues that ought to flow out of our lives. It's the, the fruit of the Spirit. But right here in the middle of that, we're looking at the way that we live our lives. And so today, our key practice is this, giving away my life. And in fact, I want us to read the statement of affirmation together. It's in your worship guide as well as on the screen. Let's just read this together. I give away my life to fulfill God's purposes. Let's say that together again. I give away my life to fulfill God's purposes. As we look at Romans 12, 1, it is a great indicator of our response to the gospel, our response to what God has already done in our lives. It's not lost on me that the testimony we've already heard from Ken was this, I was headed my way and God, when he encountered God, God changed his life radically. He, he brought him to the words of the passage there in John, if you love me, obey my commandments. I wonder if we could say about our own lives today that God is the Lord of our lives, that He truly has the right to command our behavior. Can you honestly say that in your own life and in your own family, that you have given God a blank check and said, God, you fill it in, you cast the check. I am willing to be used up for your purposes. I think there may be seasons of our lives that we touch on this, but this morning I really want us to get a hold of what God desires from us. Not in a legalistic sense, not in a works-based sense that we would somehow earn God's favor, but very clearly from that passage that we've already considered this morning, 
that we would love him by obeying his commandments, that our obedience would flow out of love, that we would obey him as a response to him. And that brings us to our text in Romans chapter 12. As we look at this text together, powerful words from the Apostle Paul, and we'll read just this one verse. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Think about that with me for just a moment. The question of this passage hinges on the word therefore. You've heard it said many, many times when you come across the word therefore in Scripture, always look backward and look forward because you need to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And as we see this word therefore, we look back and the, the actuality of this therefore is a long-standing argument. He's not just talking about a verse or a chapter before, he's actually talking about the entire book of Romans. If we were to start in the very beginning, if we were to go back to Romans 1, in fact, we would see some powerful things. We would see in Romans 1.16 a clear theme, and I want that to remain on the screen because this is the division for the book. It's not in your notes, but stay there. Absolutely, we'll go back to that other one. The, the gospel is explained in Romans 1-11, through 11, and then Romans 12-16 through 16 is our response. If you looked at Romans 1.16, Paul gives the theme for the whole book. He says, I am not, what? You remember? Ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to share with the Romans the truth of the life-changing power of the gospel. And so he said, I'm not ashamed of it. And when he said that, he was laying out for us the theme of the whole book. In fact, I would encourage you, church, if you want to understand the gospel message, spend time in Romans 1 through 11, just slowly reading through. Some of the major themes of our faith, some of the primary doctrines of our faith are found there. Powerful, powerful truth. You begin to see all of what Jesus has done for us. But it's explained in those first 11 chapters, and then we see our response flowing from that in Romans 12 and beyond. Now, as we look at this, therefore, uh, here's what Paul is doing. Paul is saying for you and for me, how should we live our lives? In light of everything that we've seen, in light of the mercies of God, how are we to live? What kind of people should we be? In fact, one commentator just blew my mind as he began to list all of the different doctrines. Listen to these words. He pointed out the richness of this book when he said this. So because of the great doctrines of creation, righteousness, depravity, faith, propitiation, justification, union with Christ, sanctification, glorification, election, divine freedom, therefore, by God's mercy and grace, you can receive and respond to the imperatives that are about to come. He's about to give you some commands, and he's about to say, this is how you're supposed to live in light of all of that. Now, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you a, a simplified understanding of the gospel, just three very simple points from the book of Romans. And, and I want you to hear this in light of, of a day like today, as we celebrate moms today, as we celebrate motherhood today, we celebrate God's plan for uh, our lineage. I want you to see God's plan for us as human beings. 
And these three thoughts, I hope, will stick with you very pointedly as we think about this. And here's how we can put the gospel in our minds. Here really is a definition. We have to ask the question, what is it and how do we respond? So let me give you a simple framework. You ready? Everybody ready? Number one, God has a problem with you. Well, that was a pleasant thing to say, Pastor. Thanks. But from Scripture, we see that immediately. Romans 1.18, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness or unrighteousness. You see, this argument starts in verse 1 of of chapter 1 and goes all the way through chapter 3. And he's saying God's got a problem with us. Every single person on the face of the planet is infected with two things, godlessness and wickedness. You say, now, Pastor, I just don't think you should do that. I have a missionary friend who had a man that said that. He was sharing the gospel with him, and he told him the human heart is wicked, and all of us have been infected with godlessness and with wickedness. And I gave you some definitions there. One is just living without God or putting other things in the place of God. The other is wickedness. That means that we're not living what God wants us to do. Do you realize that you can come to church and live in wickedness? Because you're not living out the purpose and the plan God has for you. Ken said he was a faithful member of church. He was actively involved. He tithed. He was involved in Sunday school and in Bible studies. But he did not know the Lord. And I I just use that as one example. Many of us could tell that story in our own lives over and over again, right? You might say that about yourself. I was lost but a church member. I was lost and separated from God. But some people take great offense to this idea that man is wicked. My my missionary friend had shared the gospel, and this man came to him, and he said, how dare you say that? And and honestly, you and I, in the back of our hearts and minds, think that way. Well, you know, Brother brother Scott, I, I could understand God having a problem with child abusers. I could understand God having problems with terrorists, but we are fine, upstanding Family-oriented Southern ladies and gentlemen right here at Hardy Street Baptist Church. How in the world could God have a problem with us? And the reality is we've all been infected with godlessness and wickedness. Now, let me give you the test my missionary friend gave his friend. This man came to him incensed. And he said, I tell you what you need to do. Go read the Ten Commandments and this week do your dead-level best to keep them all. So the man went away. And as he went away, he tried to keep all the Ten Commandments. He came back the next week and said, now, preacher, that's kind of hard. I mean, surely we can't be expected to keep all of those all the time. He said, well, I tell you what, this week, focus on one. How how about this one? Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Why don't you just this week be truthful completely, the whole week? And he scratched his head and said, that may be tough. And he went away, and he came back and said, that's impossible, preacher. He said, you're talking about one commandment, being truthful in every situation, every circumstance. And he said, why is that so impossible? The guy said, well, you don't understand. I'm a car salesman. So I imagine he, now, no offense to and apologies to any godly Christian car salesmen that are in this place today or any others that might hear this sermon later. But the reality is, if you and I honestly look at the Ten Commandments for very long, It's not a matter of have we tripped up once or twice. The real matter is have we ever kept any of them at all. I look at my own life and I I realize my heart is infected with wickedness and godlessness. And, And the Ten Commandments were never to be a pathway to salvation, but rather a mirror to show me my fault, to show me how desperately I needed God. 
Now, I'm bringing this to a point because I want you to see how do we give our lives away and why do we give our, our lives away. Well, we move forward from this first thought that God has a problem with us to the second thought, God has a solution for you. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that God brings us to a place of solution where He has an answer for that problem. And the answer to that problem is in three separate thoughts. And you need to see all three of them. We can't separate them. First is the sacrificial death of Jesus. If we want to talk about the gospel, we have to look at the sacrificial death of Jesus. Romans 3.25 starts out with three powerful words. God presented Him. I'm so thankful that God sent Jesus. God's solution to the problem was this, that he sent his only begotten son. Jesus became, God himself became in the person of Jesus man and became a substitution for our sinfulness. He died in our place and his sacrificial death starts the good news. It's part of the solution. But we need to see it's deeper than that. It goes further than that. His solution for us moves beyond just this one part. You see, if you think about his sacrificial atonement, you begin to see the depth of the love of God. And this is straight from the book of Romans. If we were to follow along our path, we see in Romans 3, very, very simply, God presented him. And that's right after the statement, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then verse 24, but they've been justified through him. So the good news comes right after that bad news. Paul lays it out. Romans 1 through Romans 3, God's got a problem with you. But we begin in Romans 3 moving forward, God's got a solution for us. And thank God for that. Amen? I hope that you'll stay with me and move forward in this as we think about the problem becoming solved for us, but then for a purpose of response through us. We'll get there in a moment. Think with me for a moment about the cross. In Romans it says that the wrath of God is stored up. And we understand that in the cross that the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. If you want to know the extent of the wrath of God, look at the cross. If you want to know the extent of the love of God, look at the cross. Think with me about the, the, the possibilities that are there and the parallels. If you want to understand God's justice, look at the cross. He was fully just in punishing Jesus on behalf of mankind so that anyone by faith who would trust in that death would receive life. But we see His grace there that we don't get what we deserved and He took all of it. If you want to see the judgment of God, look at the cross. But you want to see His love? Look at the cross. To learn the extent of these two parallel tracks, these two, this paradox, Christ received scorn and rejection. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All the while that you and I could be accepted in the Father because of the cross. So if you want to understand the extent of the character and nature of God, look at the event of the cross. God has a problem with you and with me. But God has a solution for us. That solution starts with the sacrificial death of Jesus. But how does that fit into our lives? How do we take hold of it? I think it's important for us to see this. You and I have to either earn it or receive it. And beautiful, beautiful argument is made in Romans 4 as we move forward. Romans 4, Paul goes back to Abraham and he says it was credited to him as righteousness. 
He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was saying, you can't earn it. You have to just receive it. And so for you and for me, that's the second thought, is that we have forgiveness and reconciliation by faith. We trust him for it and we receive it. So the good news of God's solution is that Jesus died a substitutionary death. And the good news of the solution of God is also seen that we can apprehend it by faith. We can't earn it, but we can receive it as we trust Him. Some of you are saying, Brother Scott, that's the most basic thing I've ever heard you preach. You're right. But if we ever move past this, we lose sight of Romans 12 and how we're supposed to live. You see, there are people all over Hattiesburg that are longing for somebody who actually believes all that I'm preaching. If you really believe that Jesus Christ poured out all of the wrath that you deserved, uh, or that God the Father poured out all the wrath that you deserved on Jesus, if you really believe that by faith, not by works, not by striving or earning or, or working, but by faith, you could receive that life, you and I would live different lives. It would make an impact on the community around us. It would make a difference in this world. But too many Christians have settled back down. We're not giving our lives away for the purposes of God. We're simply holding on to the life that God's given us in waiting mode for us to go to heaven. And the reality is salvation is far, far deeper than that. It goes far beyond that. Forgiveness and reconciliation is the second part. But the third part that I want you to see is this. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And now we have the power to live a brand new life. And that's in the Spirit. You see, salvation is more than forgiveness. Salvation is more than just forgiveness. It's the power to live a different life. And when the Spirit of God comes on a life, there, there's something so powerful that you need to see and I need to see. Romans 8, 8. And nine, and I promise you, you can see we're working back toward our text. Listen to this. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. You come to Christ and you receive the Spirit of God. I, I hear so many people say, well, you, you need this second blessing of the Spirit of God, this baptism of the Spirit of God. I want to let you in on something. I heard Adrian Rogers say this some years ago. The real second blessing, and there is one, and Baptists start backing up. There is a second blessing. The second blessing is realizing how much you got the first time. And God continues to bless and bless and bless. The Bible says right there, very plainly, if you are not of the Spirit or if the Spirit is not in you, you are not of Christ. So you can't tell me that somebody gets saved and later gets the Spirit. You can't tell me they belong to Christ. When I got saved, God put in me, indwelt in me, the Spirit of God as a deposit for the rest of my days and for all eternity. The Spirit indwells the believer. When you place your faith in God, the Spirit empowers you to live a new life. And that's going to take us to Romans 12. Now, that may have been the very fastest jet tour of the book of Romans ever. Some of you are probably saying, I'm tired, Brother Scott. But let's just get energized by this. How do we respond? If the gospel is that God had for us, God had a problem with us, God provided a solution for us, I, I want you to see thirdly, God has a purpose through you. And that's where we get to Romans 9, 10, and 11. How will the world know 
How will the world hear about this problem if you and I don't tell them? In fact, he says that very plainly in Romans 10. How will they hear unless someone tells them, unless there's a preacher? And how will someone preach if they're not sent? God is sending us to be the solution for this problem. God had a problem with us, but he provided a solution. What is that solution? The sacrificial death of Jesus, forgiveness and reconciliation that we apprehend by faith, and third, the Spirit coming into our lives and giving us power to live a new life. I hope that you see all of this for what it is. What I'm trying to do is teach you how to share the gospel. If somebody asks you point blank, what is the message of Christianity? You could tell them God had a problem with all of us, but God provided a solution. And now God has a purpose through us to go and tell others this great message. Well, how will the world discover it? Our purpose is the same purpose as Abraham had. Abraham was called early on, we see, and we see in Romans 11 that Gentiles were grafted into God's family, and we are called to do what Israel did, to let the world know about God. How do we respond is the question. How do we respond? Very quickly, I'm going to give you four things. And I, I just want you to see these right from our text. I gave you three in your notes, and you're going to have to write the fourth one down. I just want to make sure you'd listen. You ready? How should we respond? Should we accept it? Well, yeah, but that seems a little passive. God, I'm thankful for this good news. No, that's not it. Should we just believe it? Is that all? The Bible says, therefore... In light of God's mercy, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Number one, I want you to see this. It's our bodies, not our hearts. Write that down. It's our bodies, not our hearts. You say, what in the world are you talking about? It is popular these days to say, I just want to give my heart to Jesus. And, and that's okay. I understand the, the concept. People are saying, well, I want to give the very center of who I am. But the reality is that's not the language of the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say give your heart to Jesus. Here, Paul says, in light of the gospel, offer your bodies. Your body is the capacity to act, to move, to work. And the reality is that it's far bigger than just your heart. It's far bigger than just mental ascent. God, I want to give you my capacity to work. Go back to our statement of affirmation. I give away my life for his purposes. God, there are people that you want to use me to reach. God, your solution and your purpose leads me to act. So I present myself, not just my heart. And I want you to see this. Sometimes when we get away from the language of the Bible, we move away from the meaning of the Bible. Paul was very clear. He didn't say, give God your heart. He didn't say, Pray a prayer. He said, in light of the gospel, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Just stop and say, God, I'm yours. I belong to you. I, I can't think of a more appropriate response, God, when I think of all that you have done than to give you everything that I have. God, I am so enamored with your love and your beauty and the wrath that was poured out on Jesus in my place. I'm so incredibly blown away by that. I'll simply pre present myself to you. And the reality of that is so powerful. Think about this. Scripture doesn't speak of us giving our hearts to God, but it does speak of Him giving us a new heart.
I'm, I'm amazed by that. He gives us the capacity to love him. Now we surrender our bodies and love him with all that we have. What else? Number two, it's living and not dead. It's living and not dead. You see, a dead sacrifice is easy. They could have gone to the field and picked out an animal and slaughtered it, and it was over at that time. Living sacrifices are hard. They're costly. You offer, here's what I would say about that. You offer everything that you are every day to the Lordship of Jesus. Let me say that again. My response to the gospel ought to be this simple. I offer everything that I am and everything that I have every day to Jesus. That means when I go to work or school or in my neighborhood or in my family, I submit myself to the Lordship of Jesus. I can't preach more practically than that, but it's directly from this text. Therefore, in light of, in view of, looking at all this mercy that God has shown in these first 11 chapters, this gospel, this glorious good news, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Give yourself to God. John Stott said it this way, a proper response to the gospel cannot remain an inward matter of the heart. It must be expressed in concrete actions, ministry, and service that advances God's purpose in the world. Now let me give you one more thought about a living sacrifice. There are no term limits. There are no degrees. It's everything you have. I'm not putting our dear brother on a pedestal, but Ken came to the place where they're expanding a business. They've got a plan in place. They've got a map lined out for life, and God said, sell the business and go this way. That was costly. It cost in relationships. It cost in terms of confidence. God, I know how to do auto body repair. I don't know anything about recovery ministries. God said, I didn't ask you if you knew it. I asked you to do it. He provides all that you need. And it's in all of our lives. I'm not telling you God's telling you today or tomorrow to sell your business and move or sell your business and do something different. What I am telling you is, Have you at least given God the opportunity to speak that into your life? There are students here that will graduate soon, and as they graduate and move into the next phases, are you just putting your plan in place? Are you stopping to say, God, I want to give my life away for your purpose. I want to present myself in light of this glorious gospel, a living sacrifice. Does that make sense to anybody? Hello? Let's, let's begin to draw it to a close. It's our bodies, not our heart. It's a living sacrifice, not dead. Number three, it's together, not alone. What does he say present? Therefore, in light of God's mercies, present your, help me out, bodies, plural. How many of you have more than one? I'm not talking about the diet that we need to go on. I'm just saying you may think, well, I'm probably carrying enough for two, but no. We have one body. But the Bible says present your bodies. Paul says present your bodies. I believe he's writing to these Roman Christians. And and think about this. If the definition that I gave you of a body, it's your capacity to act, what would it look like, church family, if we gave 
this full body and its capacity to act for the Lord's purposes. What would that do in the lives of those who are disenfranchised and and are outside the hope of God's gospel? You and I have a purpose to give ourselves, so it's not alone, it's together. We together give ourselves, but we've got to individually do that. You surrender your heart and you get with others whose hearts are surrendered, and God begins to do amazing things. Let me go to the last place, and this isn't in your notes, but you need to write it down. It's reasonable, not extreme. Listen, church, don't miss this one. Write it down. It's reasonable, not extreme. It doesn't make sense to most people that a man would sell his business and start a ministry like Ken started. I heard a story just this past week of a man who had retired five times. He's a pastor, and he'd retired from five different settings, and God called he and his wife to Hong Kong. And and they were pastoring a church in Hong Kong, and there in Hong Kong, his wife developed Alzheimer's. And, And some people were gathered around talking to him, and And he was just talking about what a great, great journey they had had together, almost 50 years of marriage together and ministry. He said, that's hard. Here's what I want you to hear. To people who are outside of the gospel, that seems extreme. It seems extreme. You would give 10% or more of your money away for the cause of this Christianity. That seems extreme. People say, you can keep that money. You can do more with that money. The reality is you and I don't see that as extreme at all. I say, God, in light of everything you've given me, the very least that I can do is give you my first and my best. We don't see that as extreme. We see it as normal. And I've come to the place where in my life I see, God, I can do far more with the the portion of what you've allowed me to have that I keep. If I give you my very best, if I tithe and give offerings, I can do far more with this than I ever could with all of it on my own. It, It seems extreme To those who are outside of the faith, oh, but for the Christian, the sweetness of the story of the gospel motivates us to do things that seem reasonable. And the Bible says this is your, and probably one of the best translations is, is your reasonable act of worship. He's saying this, when I pause and I think about the Lord, I think about the song we sing sometimes, how he saved me, how he raised me. It makes me want to shout. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain, I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. The Bible goes on to tell us in this passage that worship that is directed from the heart of a living sacrifice will be renewed by the Spirit of God, verse 2. And we didn't even get there. We just did one verse today. Longest introduction, shortest sermon. We're done. Here's my question. Are you giving your life away for the purpose of God? Are there things in your life that you're holding on to? Maybe today you've heard this gospel in a fresh way. And you need to be saved. God has a problem with you. Maybe you never really thought of that. If God has a problem with you, let me just let you in on a secret. You've got a problem. But praise God, he provided the solution. And he has a purpose for you and through you to this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time this morning.
God, thank you for the power of your word. Lord, I pray that this glorious gospel would change our lives, that we would respond to it, that we would respond to it by saying, Lord, you are worthy of everything I could give you. God, during this time of decision, I pray that people would let you have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing. Members of the staff will be.